Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from The Message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. So, um, uh, my pleasure really uh, and honour to uh, continue through this um, teaching series that I've been doing on, on the Jesus Manifesto based uh, on the Beatitudes, the Blessings. And uh, let me just read a few of them to you as uh, Jesus gathered the people on the mountain. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, um, this week is a really uh, difficult week. Or a scary week for a whole bunch of people. Uh, I think it's this week that um, people get their A-level results. And um, this is the first lot of A-level results since the pandemic where people have actually sat down and actually done exams. And, um, and therefore they're anticipating that the number of um, A-level grade A's and A-stars is going to go down. Uh, because people are going to be uh, tested. And... Uh, and there were two things I was thinking about that. First of all, um, you know that, the, that this generation, um, of, of which many of you are part of, is actually the most educated generation. People of my age often say, well, the problem with it, they, they don't have school like we do, they don't have uh, education like we did. Well, that's good. It's a better education. They, they know more than what, what people are studying at, at, at um at A level is what people were studying at a degree level 15 years ago. And what people are studying at GCSE is what people were studying at A level um, 10 years ago. This is the most educated generation of all time. And therefore, there's a massive pressure actually on them um, uh, to do well. But uh, one thing I would want to say, and especially if you've got kids who are going through this, is to encourage them that, do you know, when you, re- when you really reflect on it, that day when they get there, A-level results feels like the best day or the worst day. But actually, this too shall pass. You know, actually, it feels super important at the time. But guess how many A-levels I've got? It's probably fairly easy. I haven't got any. Nobody's asked me how many many A-levels I've had for at least 40 years. Like, it literally, I'll be honest with you, I've got two O-levels. I've got GCSE. Well, it wasn't even GCSEs. Two O-levels in music and RE. And what I can tell you about those two subjects is I would have got O-levels in them if I hadn't gone to school. I knew enough about those subjects to actually pass those exams. Um, and I, honestly, I don't think it's really held me up um, that much. It really upset my parents at the time. But these two shall pass. And why am I saying that? Because... You know, as I look at this world, I'm seeing that very often what we are seeing is a hurting generation that more than anything needs Jesus. We're in an era of, um, I know we're going through a tough season economically, but actually, realistically, we're in a, a season, if you, if you stretch it long enough, only a couple of decades to say we are living in a season of unparalleled wealth. We've got opportunity education, we've got more information, more resources, uh, more access to pleasure than there's ever been. And yet, we're dealing with record numbers 
of people dealing with major mental health issues and worries, anxiety, depression, problems with their self-worth and self-identity. How can we that have so much be in a situation like this? And, and, and sometimes we can project that onto other people, but we sometimes need to be honest and think, you know what, sometimes in the cold light of day, in our darkest moments, we also have this dragging pain in our stomach, this dread, emptiness, loneliness, and, and perhaps fear. And particularly if you haven't got the relationship with God that God wants you to have with him. On reflection, this hasn't been the funniest way to start a talk. And so, apologies for that. But I just wanted to get really real about what we are striving for with righteousness in Jesus. Have you ever been hungry? I mean, I mean, like really hungry. Like I used to be the sort of person, um, when I was younger, me and my mates were always, you know, we'd be planning what we were going to do for the day. And I would say, yeah, but, but where does food come into this? Like I needed to know that we had got a plan with everything else that we were going to do. At some point, we are going to have a pit stop for food. But, I, but, but that, that concept of being really, really hungry is one that I've probably only really experienced a few times in my life where I'm like, you know, almost can't process because um, I'm so hungry. It's the only thing that I can think of. I think probably more times I can think of times when I've been really thirsty, when I've been parched, when I've been dehydrated. I, I mean, I come from a generation where uh, on, uh, in the school holidays on a morning you'd have your breakfast, you'd have a cup of tea with your breakfast, and then your mum would send you out for the day, and you were expected pretty much to be out for the day. Maybe you come in for lunch. Nobody ever gave you a drink. They never said, I know it's really, really hot out there. Make sure you stay hydrated. That wasn't a word. You just spent all day out playing football for seven hours without a drink. And so when you came in, you were really, really, really thirsty. Where Your, your dehydration was all-consuming. And then, remember what it was like when you were so hungry and then you had that great meal. Or you were so thirsty you had your first cool glass of water. Or maybe, perhaps even, something a little stronger. Well, in some ways, it's this blessing of being completely sated that Jesus is talking about when he says that you will be filled, you will be satisfied, you'll be refreshed when we have the right relationship with him. Remember that the Beatitudes are not about something that happens when we die. They're about something that we, are, uh, we, we strive to live for. Now it's an expression of the kingdom, and the kingdom is, uh, is best realized when we have a heart that doesn't grieve the Holy Spirit, when we're completely in, in relationship with him. But what do I mean by righteousness? Well, righteousness is defined as being morally right or justified. Or it could be defined as being acting according with the divine and moral law. So we're acting in line with the 
uh, divine or moral law. Now, if you think about my first definition, be, about being morally right, about being justified, that's an element of um, self-focus, doesn't it? I can feel right about something, or I feel justified, or I feel something that is unjust. I, I can make that decision for myself. I, as some of you will know, I've de- been dealing with a situation for a little while where I've um, I've got a property and I had a tenant and they didn't pay rent for a year. And that's, there's a lack of justice there, isn't it? I feel justified about being disappointed in my relationship with them. But that was about the decision I made for myself. But, but, this, but when it comes to um, the, div, um, the divine or the moral law, that is something that is God-focused. And if I'm honest, if I had a choice of the two things... I'd sooner live in the place of knowing what a holy God requires of me. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, God has made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, we're made righteous by faith alone, In Christ alone. Thank you. Great song, by the way. So the moment that we transfer um, the faith that we had in good works to the recognition that all that we have has been won for us by the precious blood of Jesus, we are credited with righteousness. You're given it as part of the gift, the grace, the mercy of God. And so while it's true that you are a sinner saved by grace, it's really important now that you don't see yourself as a person of darkness, a dirty sinner that, that has a shaft of goodness in them that's called Jesus. That's not what it's like. Let me tell you who you are. You are a person of light that has the capacity to let in Shades of darkness. Now, if we could get that perspective in our minds right, then the whole notion of our unworthiness would disappear. Our self-worth would be not based just on who we are, but on what he has done for us. You are people of light. You are righteous. Now, if that's the case, then, if we are made righteous by God, by the sacrifice of Jesus, then when Jesus talks about hungry, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he can't be referring to what we call imputed righteousness. That's one of those kind of religious words, isn't it? Imputed. But what that means is imputed means uh, something you are freely given by Jesus when you accept his sacrifice. I mean, it's good news. It guarantees that you spend eternity with him, and who wouldn't want want that? But this righteousness, if we are to still hunger and thirst from it, can't be something that we naturally have now. There's something still to aspire to. So my question was, as I began to prepare this talk, is, is it a desire to stand up for the poor and the oppressed? Is it a a passion to fight 
uh, injustice? Uh, Is it a desire to look after those that the world has cast aside or or been ignored or been marginalized? And and as I prepared this, I thought, yeah, that that probably is what it is. But then I, I got into the passage a bit more. And I want to say, because I want you to hear this as, as I begin to kind of push um, this a little bit more. We as Christians should be outraged by injustice. We should be active in ending poverty and hunger and racism and homelessness, uh, mistreatment, bullying, abuse, abortion, debt, sexism, trafficking, oppression, victimization, unemployment, suffering, and pornography, and whatever else that you think you should add to that list. Of course, we should be. And that righteous indignation within us should rise up, and we should become good witnesses and, and, and seek to fight these things. There should be deep within us this desire to love our neighbor. But it's more than a desire. It's a desire that's acted out on. We should be people who are willing to hold God's standard to an unbelieving world. And, and in order to prove that, resources need to be released. So it's not just a state of mind. That if you are um, a warrior for those things, you should be resourced to do it. By the church. I was in a church a few years ago and they were all about to go on this big march to Washington um, about abortion. And, and they'd got buses going and the whole thing. And, you know, brilliant. And I said to one of the pastors, so what are you guys doing in the whole area of um, adoption, fostering, caring for single parents? And they were like, well... Uh, well, I'm like, no, 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 no. It's like it's not an either or. It's kind of a both and. Like you can't you don't just be against them. You need to offer an alternative. You need to offer a solution. And that's going to cost money, isn't it? That's going to cost time. That means you're going to have to change the way you use your buildings and how you, um, how you dole out your cash. But I believe ultimately... The righteousness that Jesus is talking about is even more than this. I think what Jesus is talking about here is what um, R.T. Kendall, who's one of my um, favorite preachers and authors, calls implanted righteousness. And that, that is the righteousness that's planted in your heart when we're saved, when we become partakers in Christ's righteousness. But it's It's an implantation that transforms your behavior. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Now you all know the book of James. It was written by um, Jesus' brother, who was also the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Some, some scholars have said that actually James, in many ways, is a practical outworking of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and James says in, in, in uh, chapter 1, verses 19 to 21, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent 
and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. It seems like the righteousness that Jesus is declaring and urging and indeed is requiring us is within our hearts. The righteousness that is implanted through that imputation will have an outward working, will have an outward fruit through our striving for justice. But it comes from the importance of our recognition in what it said in a few of the other Beatitudes, our recognition of our spiritual poverty and our striving for meekness. If we do those things, if we recognize that were it not for a holy God that we wouldn't even be able to take a position, and if we strive for humbleness, it will help to increase within us a godly righteousness. You see, I'm challenged by the fact that I don't really think that anybody is attracted to our churches by our fantastic social media or our signage or our flyers. I think if you get really, really good social media and really good flyers and really good signage and really good PR, what you do is you encourage Christians to move from their slightly less cool church to your slightly cooler church. I think that's what happens. I don't think generally that an unbelieving world is, is impressed by how the church advertises itself, particularly. And I'm sure that you can, you can give evidence of where I'm wrong. And I'm really happy, if, if I really would be delighted to be wrong about that. But Brennan Manning, the... Uh, a Catholic priest um, and theologian, the guy who wrote uh, whoa, whoa. the Ragamuffin Gospel. Thank you. He says this. Listen to this quote: "The single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus by their lips, but walk out of the door and deny him with their lifestyle." Let me say that again. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out of the door, and deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Let's be honest. The God that most atheists reject isn't the God that we believe in. Is he? When you say, well, why don't you believe in God? They then give you a list and you think, I wouldn't believe in that God either, actually. The truth of it is that they've made a judgment on who God is based on the people that they've met who are Christians. So how do we, as people of the way, as Jesus followers, as Christians, how do we hunger and thirst for righteousness? Well, what if... What if we are orientated all of our lives to live entirely for his approval, for his his pleasure? What if all of our lives was about our pursuit for a holy God? I reckon if we did that, some people wouldn't appreciate it. But 
that's not the aim. It's never been the aim. I have a great advantage. I'm not cool. I've never been cool. So actually my attempts to think I'm cool are always going to be flawed. So, you know, I just decided that if I'm not cool, then I've nothing to lose by people thinking I'm uncool following God. It, 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 it has little cost to me if I think about it in that way. And even if I was cool and people thought I wasn't cool for following Jesus, what would it matter ultimately? Because it's all about serving the Lord. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If you are popular in every room that you walk in, the chances are you're probably doing something wrong. Imagine if your first thought as you woke on the mo- uh, up in the morning was, how can I please God today? How would that change, not just the trajectory of the day, but the trajectory of your life? You see, I think that what we feed ourselves on affects how we are fueled. If you put the wrong stuff in, you're not going to operate to your optimum. You know, we, we reflect what we're focused on. And if we're focused entirely on God, if it started when we woke and if it continued through the day and if it was our last thought as we slipped into an easy sleep, knowing God was happy with our attempt at pleasing and living for him, wouldn't that be a fulfilled life? Would that focus not increase a desire, a hunger, and a thirst for righteousness? The Apostle Paul said this when he was speaking to the church in Philippi. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so somehow attaining a resurrection from the dead. This man, Paul, sold out for Jesus, passionate for the gospel, the church and the lost. And yet he says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Oh, that is 
a righteousness. And that's a hunger and a thirst that, that, that is perhaps alien to us. But it, that is the sort of hunger and thirst that would transform a hurting world. That from out of that place of our desire to please God, we would, he would speak to us and we would recognize injustices and things that offended him. Not just in, a, in us, but in a hurting world. And we would be compelled to change things. And there is a reward. It's about perspective. If we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all things will be given to us. Seeking first righteousness means we are guaranteed to be filled, filled with his righteousness. Filled with his grace, filled with his mercy, filled with his anointing of the Holy Spirit. And then we see this. Within us, this virtuous circle, if you like, a desire for righteousness, an increased intolerance of our sin, an increased recognition of our unworthiness, an increased pain at an unjust unjust world, a recognition that without Jesus, we're all lost. That it's all about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus. There's something wonderful about that name. There's something powerful about that name. At, his, at that name, every knee will bow. That as we grow further in him, as we hunger and thirst for more of him, for more of his righteousness, it becomes transformational. And at that point, the church is transformed because it becomes more like Christ. And there is nothing more attractive or offensive than that. You know what Jesus isn't? Is boring. What Jesus isn't is something you can take or leave. I was in a, a, a church, I was in a um, um, cathedral um, a few days ago. I went, went to a funeral and um, the person who was leading the funeral read John 14. And, uh, and, and as you read through it, I was like, oh, it, was just, it just felt like, you know, water to a thirsty Soul, I'd, I'd been so busy the, the, the previous few days. But, w- but when he got to the bit where it says, nobody comes to the Father except through the Son. I was reading along with him. The person leading the service stopped. He didn't read that bit. And in my spirit, I knew he didn't read it because it was offensive. Because it's truth. It's truth. It, you, 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 the, the thing about Jesus is he's either everything or he's nothing. He accepts you as you are, but he wants you to give everything to him. And if we do this, then an unbelieving world has to make a decision. Do you believe him or do you not believe him? Are you for him or are you against him? Part of our challenge in the 21st century is that we become so cool that we are completely 
inoffensive. And the gospel is life-saving. It's either everything or it's nothing. It's either your saviour or it's so offensive. And the more that we seek after him, the more that we get to know him, the more that we want to understand, the more that we recognise that we are not of this world. This is not our home. I encourage you with everything I have, and I encourage myself to be one of those people who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. For in him we will be filled. Amen. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.